Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking. And have a tasty chat. the end of this episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Hey, 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 listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of death, sexual content, violence, murder, and abuse. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and then come back to it in the future. If you think that this book just may not be for you, then listen to this episode and let us summarize it for you so that you can pretend that you read it in discussions with friends. Don't worry, we won't tell. Or will we? Hi, welcome back. Hello, Alex. Hey, Jess. What's How you on? feeling? I am feeling like crap. That's not good. <laughs> you know, I got sick overnight and I had a fever. My fever seems to be gone, but I'm still congested, still sound a little nasally and I have a little bit of a cough, but I'm doing better. I don't feel as exhausted as I did yesterday. So that's good. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but did you catch up on any- anything good like shows or reading or anything yesterday? Or you just caught up and sleep. I put on Gilmore Girls and it was playing all day, but I don't know if I really saw any of it. I don't think I saw a full episode at all. I was just kind of in and out of sleep all day. Um, yeah, I didn't. St- I, I finished Iron Flame Friday night, so I didn't have any. I, I don't think I would have been able to read even if I wanted to, but I didn't even have like an audiobook or anything that I was in the middle of. So I was like, uh, I'll just watch Gilmore Girls and pass out. <laughs> yeah, you know, you really don't feel good if you just don't want to do a thing at all. You just want to lay there and sleep. I literally spent the whole day like on the couch, just going back and forth between freezing and sweating and shaking and like feeling miserable. So mm. it was fun. Sounds was great. Time, right. I know. And we were supposed to have dinner reservations last night for eight, eight o'clock to celebrate our anniversary. I had to cancel that. Uh, yeah, I had a call my mom. I was like, hey, I don't know if you're supposed to see the baby this weekend, but just FYI, because I saw them Friday night. I was like, I got yeah. sick. So just, you know, in case you guys get sick, too, you might not want to be around the baby. So yeah, it's good times. Yeah. yeah, tomorrow, I can't believe, is a year since your anniversary, ready, first anniversary of getting married. Like, I just think that went super fast. It I don't understand fast. <laughs> yeah. how fast a year goes. I know. I feel like we were just there, so. You know. But anyway, happy anniversary have... in, in advance. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. And Yay. How, how was your night? I, you guys were supposed to go out last night, too, right? 
Yeah, that did not happen. So uh, we, yeah, we postponed our date night for next week. Uh, instead, we just had a family night. Uh, yeah, because the baby still wasn't feeling that good. And I felt bad leaving him. So I was like, you know what? We'll just um, we'll make it a family night instead. And we had like a little family party and he really loved it. So uh, that's really cute. Yeah. So next week, I think uh, some movies actually might be coming out that we might actually want to see because there's zero in the movies right now. Actually, yeah. Saw 5 is in the movie right now. Like that's 100 years old. What's happening? <laughs> there's nothing good in the theaters. And we like on our date nights to go to the movies and just sit there and not not communicate, yeah. not speak, <laughs> just sit next to each other and watch something. You know what I mean? Just to have that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was joking around with him, too. I was like, I don't even care if afterwards we go sit in the park somewhere and read and just sit together <laughs> and read in the Aww. silence. I was like, that's fine by me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think we're going to make some kind of night of it next Saturday. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. He's feeling a little bit better, though, the baby today. That's good. Yeah. He just has like this like cough or whatever. Yeah. Like a little bit of congestion. Yeah, I know. It's been a few days since he's been struggling with that i guess maybe something's going around i don't know well it's probably that damn computer virus that keeps getting us <laughs> so last time me and alex was sick at the same time and you know we talked through zoom basically uh, and <laughs> my husband's like, doug's like uh he's like oh man he's like you guys probably got the same computer virus <laughs> that's what's happening again because my son's sick and now you're sick so yeah there you go. computer virus <laughs> is attacking again i was i was telling rob i was like i don't even understand how or when i got sick because i i work from home right so like i i haven't really left the house i saw my friend gina on wednesday she seemed fine she seemed perfectly fine then friday i went to the office first i had a doctor's appointment barely came into contact with anyone. Then I went to the office, was just sitting in my little office by myself for two hours. And then I went to see my parents and they were perfectly fine. I'm like, when did I get sick? I need somebody to explain, like, when did this happen? I don't get it. Uh, I need either, an explanation. Either it's the computer virus, like we said, <laughs> or it's something from within. <laughs> it's something from within. <laughs> well, know, that damn within virus. It's the skin, skinitis going around. Skinitis. <laughs> But I am drinking some honey chai turmeric tea that's nice. supposed to be good for overall health support. So, but I did burn my tongue pretty severely on it just now. So I have to wait for it to cool off. I know. I was reluctant to ask what snack you had because I figured you couldn't even taste the snack. I can. I tried eating some <laughs> cereal a little while ago. I was like, I need to eat something so I could take some more Dayquil. And I can't even taste it. It's like the most miserable eating experience ever. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I feel like that, it's saltines or nothing. Yeah. saltines and, and water and even though i don't like gatorade sometimes i do drink gatorade during those times because of the electrolytes supposed to be better for you or whatever exactly. i have one <laughs> you gotta have gatorade um two times in your life when you're very sick or when you're very hungover. very hungover only time yes. this gatorade helps and honestly we've been replacing gatorade with that uh liquid iv stuff yeah you need to invest they liquid yeah. iv they, they have sugar-free ones now too by the way yeah they never used to but those are the times you need your electrolytes it's got electrolytes yeah, it's got electrolytes. What are electrolytes? Do you even know? Yeah, I made Rob get them for me yesterday. I was like, I need you to get me some Dayquil and NyQuil and two Gatorades. And he was like, why two? I was like, because I need one for today and one for tomorrow. Don't, yes. don't question me. <laughs> exactly. Don't, don't question. Uh, Doug got this like package. So when when he was working the other night, him and his partner, um, he was working in like a nice area. And uh, this guy came out with two gift bags like... um holiday looking uh -huh. gift bags yeah and one for each of them so one for his partner one from him and uh -huh. he said the guy looked like he i guess he was hawaiian because everything inside of it is hawaiian themed uh -huh. 
And they had there's like two different Hawaiian coffees. There's Hawaiian um, dark chocolates and Ooh. two of the most delicious things I've ever tried in my life. Um, one of them is my snack for today. It's a uh, honey roasted macadamia nuts, but they're like mm. candied or something like rolled around in honey. They're amazing. Uh-huh. Sounds amazing. Amazing to the point that I went on Amazon and purchased. More. <laughs> and then the other thing is called a Raffaello or something like that. Have you heard about that? I don't think so. No. So, you know, the, uh, the Ferrero Rocher chocolates. Yeah. You know how they're like a little ball and it has like uh, the little wafer thing and like the candies or whatever. It's yes. similar to that. Okay. Only, um, and you know, I don't, you know how I feel about coconut. Lately, I've kind of been geared more towards coconut for some reason, okay. more than I have ever liked it in my life. But this has some kind of, uh, it's rolled in coconut on the outside, some kind of a wafer. And then mm. inside is this almond cream or like macadamia almond cream. It is delicious sounds amazing and it has yeah. become one of my favorite candies instantly and now yeah. i told doug i was like we need this all the time and you know doug doesn't like he doesn't like desserts and stuff or sweets yeah he's obsessed with them but anyway Fun. we um we want to try the coffee we're bringing up our coffee maker because you know we put it down we have an espresso machine right. so we're bringing up the coffee maker to try uh, the new coffees and i'll let you know how those are as well they're nice. both hawaiian Okay. I definitely am curious. It sounds like it's going to be good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our word of the day. I know you don't feel good. So this way you can go and rest up a little bit and dream about macadamia nuts in Hawaii on a beach. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. We had a good conversation. (laughs) Okay. It's time for the word of the day. Remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Each word of the day will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. Without further ado, today's word of the day is... Kitsch. Spelled K-I-T-S-C-H. Pronounced kitsch. As I said, it's a noun defined as something that appeals to lowbrow taste or is overly sentimental, gaudy, and indicative of bad taste. For example, the tourist trap gift shop was filled with row after row of souvenir kitsch. All right, Alex, let's come up with some uh, examples to help us remember on the fly. By the way, this word reminds me of how I would shorten the word kitchen. (laughs) Now that's all I will think of. Yeah. Oh, me too in the um, kitchen. Me too, me too in the kitchen. <laughs> Go check out the kitchen. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe some of the ladies in this book were dressed in kitchen. I don't know. It's a noun. It sounds like. In kitchen fashion. Yeah, it would sound like an, an adjective there. Yeah. I don't know. They were wearing kitchen. Are we sure it's a noun? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, well, there you have it. Dress you in the kitsch. See you in the kitsch. <laughs> Dressed in the kitsch. Uh, so we went to go look at a house and, you know, we were checking it out. We were talking to the real estate agent in the kitsch. That was really kitsch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. To tie it into the book, uh, in Belladonna, there can probably be seen a lot of interior decorating that today's world would view as kitsch. Okay. All right. Oh, I got well, here, yeah, I can't think of any more examples. So <laughs> here's some trivia about the word kitsch. Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And never has that been more true than in how people choose to decorate their homes and curate sentimental knickknack collections. 
Kitsch, borrowed in the 1920s from the German word of the same spelling, has come to mean trashy, gaudy art or cultural decor. From velvet paintings or porcelain rooster collections to duvet covers printed with unpopular art, kitsch abounds. You'll even find plenty of sources for high-quality, lowbrow art online. So shop away. Okay. Interesting. All right, you kitschers out there. (laughs) Take notes. (laughs) All right, let's get to the ingredient of the day. But if you do use kitsch today, just, uh, you know, remember where you heard it first, I guess. (laughs) I don't really like this word. This is another in the long series of the last couple words that I'm not really feeling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it just doesn't flow. Kitsch. I don't like it. Mm. If anything, I feel like it should be an adjective. It's throwing me off that it's a noun. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. Even the the example sentence, the tourist traps gift shop was filled with row after row of souvenir kitsch just doesn't sound right. But eh, all right. No, but you know what it's making me think of, actually? Do you remember when you went to... Uh, I don't know if it was Universal Studios or whatever. You went to Florida, like Disney World. And I'm not a big fan of E.T. for purposes I will not disclose. And this one, this one, this one, Alex over here sends me a picture. No context, just pictures of wall to wall kitsch (laughs) of E.T. Just set up like, you know, souvenir. And then I was like, you bitch. And she was like, ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. It was pretty funny. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> sure it was. Imagine my eyeballs when I got that picture. I was like, great. Just great. Anyway, that's all. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into our ingredient of the week. <laughs> True story. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Is it, can I hear it again? As you know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is berries. Inspired by the poisonous berries Cigna eats to communicate with death. We will make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air this Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions to our email or on our socials, and we may feature them in the future. Okay, so first, let's tell you why we chose this book. TikTok was raving about it. So I started reading it to see if the hype was real. And since I've been feeling dark fantasy content lately, and I'm also a fan of time period novels, I was loving it. Jess spoke so highly of it, and I had already wanted to read it. So I did. And here we are, ready to talk about it with you guys. Yeah. Before we dive into our discussion, here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this book is about. Belladonna follows Cigna, a young woman who is blessed with immortality and the ability to communicate with death, which she often does by eating a handful of belladonna berries, which are toxic to humans. Cygna's childhood was not kind to her, being passed from family member to family member who cared little about her well-being and more about the hefty fortune she set to inherit. Though Cygna cannot die, death seems to follow her, as she is able to see spirits of the houses she inhabits, and the lives of her caretakers seem to be cut shorter by her presence. Feeling cursed, And with only months left until she's set to obtain her fortune and return to her family estate, Foxglove, Cigna is sent to live with distant relatives at Thorn House, which seems to be as haunted by death as she is. Cigna soon realizes there's more than meets the eye at this estate and seeks to unravel the mysteries within it, sending her on a journey to solve a murder mystery, with death by her side to assist her. Adeline Grace, or Addie Gray Gray, is a New York Times, USA Today, and international best-selling author of the Gothic-infused Belladonna series and the All the Stars and Teeth duology. 
Grace studied storytelling as an intern on Nickelodeon Animation's popular series, The Legend of Korra. Local to San Diego, she spends her non-writing days watching anime and playing video games with two dorky dogs and engaging with readers on her Instagram at author Adeline Grace. All right, so let's talk about Belladonna. Let's start off by sharing our thoughts on the characters. Who was your favorite and least favorite? And did you feel that they were well-developed? So I loved Belladonna. I loved Death. Those are my two favorites. And I never thought I would sit here and be like, oh, I love Death. Uh, But in this book, I really do, actually. (laughs) I think Adeline Grace does a really good job of making you love Death, which is interesting, especially coming from someone whose greatest fear is, is Death. So... Uh, I think Death is not a lovable character. That's a a little bit much to say, but definitely an enjoyable to read character. I I found my my the time I was reading this book, I was looking forward to his interactions. I thought he was funny. Uh, He definitely was like the comic relief as well, but he also added a a layer, um, like an element of of mystery. And I really loved him. Uh, So I would think he's my favorite. I may be tied with Belladonna because I really like her too, but probably death prevails there. Uh, and I, same. <laughs> and I was saying Cigna. Yeah, Cigna. Oh yeah, I called her Belladonna. <laughs> Damn it. It's, <laughs> Sorry. it's, easy, it's easy to do. <laughs> yeah, this is six This is six like books uh, ago for me, guys. But also, um, but yeah, Belladonna is not her name. Her name is Cigna, uh, like Alex said, and uh, she's the, the main protagonist, um, but anti-hero, which we like. Uh, I do feel like all the characters, however, were well-developed. I think Adeline Grace did a really good job writing in this book. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked the characters. I thought that they were pretty well-developed. Um, I would probably say that my favorite was both Death and Silas, but it turns out that they're the same person, so that made sense. Um, but they, they were each my favorite. I really liked them. Um, I did like Blythe a lot, and I did like Cigna, our protagonists, a lot as well. Um, my least favorite was probably Byron, um, just because he seemed like kind of a jerk, even though I think he was complex enough that I didn't really hate him. Um, I didn't really hate any of these characters because I thought that, like Jess said, Adeline Grace did a pretty good job of, uh, developing them in a way that made them complex so that. I could understand their motivations, even if I didn't agree with them. And so it was kind of hard to really hate any of the characters, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're right. I completely forgot about, I glossed over who my least favorite was. I have no idea who my least favorite is. I mean, I don't like the ants. She's, you know, a garbage person, but like, <laughs> she's just not good. But she she only has like a short you yeah, know, she's moment. she's hardly in it. Uh, so I, I guess... I don't know. I guess I want to say Percy for reasons that, you know, I will say later. He's a big D. All right. Well, but Cigna had a a tough childhood, so she was passed from caretaker to caretaker. She lost her mother as a baby. So let's discuss the relationships Cigna had throughout the novel. And how do you think each of these relationships impacted her? Yeah, so... I think that Cigna learned a lot from the relationships that she did have in the book, whether they were positive or not. So obviously she lost her parents when she was just, I think, two months old. That is very sad, but it did result in her being passed from different caretaker to different caretaker. She was with her grandmother for a long period of time. And from her, she was able to learn what true love and safety looks like. 
once her grandmother passed, she does develop relationships with other people. Like she has a friendship with this woman named, or this girl at the time named Charlotte, where she learns what true friendship and love are like. Um, all of her other caregivers, and forgive me, I don't really know all their names. I know Aunt Magda, but they, she learns that people can be cruel and that not everyone will accept you or protect you or love you. Um, and then she has her relationship with death where she learns that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to do what you want. It's, this is what romantic love can be like. This is what protection can be like. And she also learns that death can take people from you as well, like your grandmother and Charlotte as well, um, in a more indirect way. And then, um, and just for clarification with Charlotte, basically what happened was her caretaker at the time was a young man, an uncle. He was in his 30s. He was sleeping around with everybody. He ended up dying from what we're to assume is some type of sexually transmitted disease. And then Charlotte's mom dies of the same thing shortly after. And it's determined that it's because they were sleeping together. It was this big controversy. So Charlotte and Signa are no longer friends. As a result, she gets upset with her. Um, <clears throat> and then we have... The, the Hawthorns, where she learns acceptance and the idea of found family or that family can be the people that you choose. So even though they are her real family, she had never met them until she was 19 years old. So she they they are real family, but they're also the family that she chooses. So I think that all of her relationships were really impactful to determine who she is and in helping her learn these lessons throughout her life. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it it really shapes her into who she is. So, uh, you know, in the prologue in this book, it's very interesting because it's a party or something that her mom's having when she's a baby and everybody in the house during this function dies. Whether it was the punch being poisoned, we don't really get much detail on it yet. I'm hoping we will in the second book because she does return to Foxglove. That could be interesting. Uh, but basically, there is some kind of plague or some kind of poison that takes everybody out and does not kill the baby, uh, who is Cigna in the crib. Death can't take her. And then it's determines later on that, you know, she's actually immortal. So that alone definitely has an impact on her life. She's brought up without a mother. All she's left with is a book that tells her how to act. And it's not even how her mother would have acted. It's just a book that she thinks her mother used as a guide. Uh, and we kind of learn basically maybe that her mother didn't use it as a guide and she's been misled to think so. But in those in that time, it's a time period novel. So in that era, women were expected to act a certain way. So she had that behind her where she is supposed to be a lady, you know, quote lady, um, and she's supposed to act a certain way and she's not doing so. So she's she's coming of age. She's learning a lot of different things. She's trying to figure out her own identity and everything relationship wise. Those caretakers that have been watching her really didn't have her best interest at heart. All they care about is the fortune she's going to inherit. So instead of looking for her best interest, she's being malnourished. She's being uh, mistreated. You know, she's not really loved. So she's brought up without real love. Uh, and all she really has is this odd relationship with death, who is the only one who really kind of gives her attention. So she wants to take these berries and do these things that give her moments with him. She's able to communicate with him when she basically would, what would kill a normal human, bring her a couple of minutes uh, of time with to communicate with death. So this is really the only 
only relationship she has. She doesn't really have any healthy relationships until, like Alex said, she goes to Thorn House and the Hawthorns, who actually are a family, even though they have their issues as well, um, they become like a great fit for her to um, actually belong somewhere. And uh, I think that all of these things impacts who she is. And then obviously, um, once she meets Silas, who is uh, on this property as well, and it turns out that he is actually death as well, it gives her another different type of relationship she didn't have prior. So I think that I think all of this stuff impacts her. And I think that she's still continuing to go through things that will impact her in, in the future books as well. All right. So Cigna learned at a young age that she has the gift of immortality, which saved her life when death came for her household, but left her breathing. This sparked a fascination in death for Cigna, as well as a fascination for Cigna of death. Cigna communicates with death often, sees spirits, and is surrounded by death. How has this molded her? And what effect does the situation with her cruel aunt have on her? Yeah, so I touched on this a little bit, and so did you. But basically, not only is Cigna infatuated by death, because he's the only one that kind of gives her attention during these hard times. And I mean, if you were immortal and you realized you couldn't die, maybe you would be a little fascinated by it too. But she's also fascinated, uh, death is fascinated by her because he can't take her, right? So he finds this is somebody in centuries and centuries and centuries that finally is somebody similar to him um, who he can actually communicate with. And not only that, but another thing that definitely uh, impacted her growing up is that she sees ghosts. You know, I see dead people, literally. She sees spirits of these people. So any house that she goes to, if somebody died there, their spirit remains. She can see them and communicate with them. Very interesting. I really like that um, aspect, but I'm sure that's, you know, it was terrifying for her as a child. But obviously she's always surrounded by death. For some reason, these caretakers keep dying off. Uh, So death keeps, it it can't take her, but it keeps following her for some reason. It's definitely molded her. She feels like she's bad luck. She feels like when she's about to go to this thorn house that she's worried that there's a girl there that um, who's sick, that she might die just because of her presence. So it definitely molds her as who she is as a person. And it, it gives her, um, you know, different layers and of worry and it changes her perspective on things. Um, and then her cruel aunt, obviously. So her aunt was a horrible person. As I said, a garbage person. <laughs> she uh, she really didn't have her best interest at heart. She didn't care about her. Um, and then her and Cigna have a moment where I don't remember if Cigna is within the realm where she is crossed over talking to death and then she takes her aunt's life, but she doesn't mean to, but she touches her and her aunt perishes from that. And that's when uh, she kind of realizes that, um, you know, maybe she has some kind of impact uh, like death in that type of world when she's, um, you know, in between worlds. Um, And then her aunt obviously comes back as a spirit and she's able to communicate with her. But I think that whole situation does have an impact on her as well, because now it gives her um, you know, questions like as to who she is and her quest for her identity is, is, is changed because now it's, it's divided on, she wants to be like her mother with that book. <laughs> she wants to be the high society girl that she's supposed to have trained to be. She's wealthy, but she also is this, you know, spiritual being where she's like supernatural and she can communicate with the afterlife and she has uh, a desire for that as well. So, so yeah, I, I agree that because of her connection with death, she feels cursed. She feels like everyone around her is dying, which is true. They are at a significantly higher rate than most other people. Um, I do think that this makes her more reserved and isolative. I think it makes her more hesitant to develop close relationships because she knows that they can be taken from her at any point. But 
overall, I think that it also helps to mold her into somebody that is more independent, but it may, it makes her more resourceful. Maybe it, it makes her more resourceful. Um, and in terms of her situation with her aunt, she discovers for the first time that she is able to take a life and send it to the, the after the afterlife, which I think is what kind of sparks her journey in discovering that she, you know, has secrets that she isn't even aware of yet that she's in considered immortal for a reason and i think that that whole situation sparks that whole chain of events and uh her journey to discovering what her real powers are and how she can use them and what her destiny is yeah definitely so belladonna focuses on cygna's investigation into the death of her aunt lillian and the slow poisoning of her cousin Blythe. so do you think that she does an effective job of uncovering the truth and were you surprised by the outcome uh, I think she did a good job of uncovering the truth. Obviously, she gets to the truth, so she must have done a pretty good job, <laughs> more so than anyone else did in in their pursuits of the truth. Uh, I, I don't even know if anybody else was looking for the truth. It seemed like she was the only one who really was trying. I Once they cleared By Byron in the story, I predicted that it would be Percy. But up until that point, I was like, maybe it's just going to be Byron. Maybe it's not going to be like a twisty novel. Um, so I thought that it was likely going to be him. But then they clear him at some point, And we learn that Percy was actually the one who had killed his. So <clears throat> it wasn't actually his mother. It's the woman who raised him and that he considered to be his mother. But it's actually his his real mother was Marjorie. But anyway. So Marjorie was like uh, the uh, the person that brought them up. What's that word? She's like a nanny. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what they called them at the time. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. So essentially, he he kills Lillian, who was the woman who raised him, who he thought to be his mother. He Governess. does it accidentally. Governess. Um, he, he kills her accidentally. And then he slowly starts poisoning Blythe as well. He poisons himself enough to make it so that nobody would suspect him. And it turns out that it was him all along. So Cigna is able to discover that. Like I said, once they cleared Byron, I wasn't really surprised. I thought that it was going to be Percy um, at that point, because I was like, who would I not expect it to be since it's going to be a twist? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Cigna comes to this house and there was already a death. The mother of these two children uh, was, you know, she died. And now all of a sudden the same symptoms and everything is happening to the daughter of the household Blythe. Um, so when she arrives on the scene, you know, it seems that this is a similar incident, but obviously it's deeper than that. There are people here who are, you know, taking these uh, women out. And uh, obviously the mystery does get solved. Uh, she actually has an advantage over anybody else before this time to uncover this because she could see the spirits. So she could see her Aunt Lillian who comes to her and shows her her garden, gives her an idea that she's being poisoned Blythe. And then she's able to, um, you know, go into this murder mystery with this guy, Silas, who works at the stables, who's actually really death in disguise. And, you know, Death tries to help her. He says, though, he cannot interfere because he doesn't know why Lillian died. She couldn't tell him. Uh, so this is not only a murder mystery, but again, going back to Cigna's, uh, her, the mystery of her identity. So this is like a, a mystery within a mystery for her. So she's got two mysteries that she's juggling here. But, you know, I, I definitely think she did a great job given everything that she could do. She, um, 
she obviously goes beyond uh, what a regular person could do because she's got these powers and this communication that she could do with death. So she could actually, you know, speak to spirits and, and figure things out that way. I wasn't surprised by the outcome. I think that Adeline Grace did a really good job of laying down exactly what's what. <laughs> She gave us good pieces of, hey, this is what's going to happen. Um, she gave us a couple of, of, you know, breadcrumbs here and there where you might think it's one person, then you might think it's not, and then you might go back to it and things like that. But I think overall, uh, the outcome made sense for the story. I was a little surprised that he would be continuing to do this to his sister after what happened because um, he wasn't supposed to kill his mom. He actually thought it was going to be his, uh, his governess, like Alex said. So, you know, it turns out that the governess, I was more surprised that, that his mother was actually the governess. I didn't see that coming. But I thought it was I thought the outcome was pretty good. I wasn't surprised 100% by it. But in a good way, it didn't bother me that I wasn't surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah. So in addition to trying to find the killer at Thorn House, Signa struggles to find her place as a young lady entering society. In what ways throughout the novel did it appear that Signa was at times living two different lives and struggling to find her identity? Throughout the entire novel. So, I mean, she is trying to, like I said, she's a wealthy girl. She's trying to come up in high society. She has this book where it tells her this is the proper etiquette and this is how you're supposed to act. But meanwhile, obviously, you know, she has this other <laughs> part of her life that other girls don't experience. So when she's sitting there and she's at tea with these other girls in high society, she has death. She sees him in the background. You know, he's like messing with the, with her and pretending he's going to like take these girls. And, you know, it's interfering with her, her um, situation. So obviously, you know that she's struggling here and she's struggling to see if that's exactly the place that she wants to go. So in the beginning of the book, obviously, she wants to be integrated into high society. She wants to live a normal life. But as the book progresses, you know, she's starting to come to terms with the fact that she's not going to live a normal life because she's not a normal girl in this society. She actually has a different, you know, there's different things happening with her and she might be meant for something else. You know, obviously, she's trying to find the killer. She's trying to figure out what's going on because she genuinely starts to care about this family and she wants to help uh, but she is living two different lives and uh, even though she there is a, a guy who everybody is he's most sought after let's just say um, and she does you know kind of win his heart and she would be able to marry him and you know, live the this high society life that was meant for her initially, let's say. Um, but things might not work out that way because that might not be what she actually wants in the end. So I think that towards the end of this book, she's starting to come to terms. What she might actually want would be the other part of the, the you know, not the normal structure for her that was maybe designed originally. Uh, but I think we're going to get into that more in the next book because she's definitely still growing as a as she struggles to find her identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think like you said, we see this throughout the whole novel. <laughs> we see her yeah. struggling uh, to be a proper lady versus being this like harbinger of death. Um, we see her struggling with this idea of being a lady of society, but then also having this strong sexual attraction with death and not knowing if she wants to take that next step with him, you know, if it's the right thing to do and kind of towing that line. Um, and then we see her at points, like you said, when she's sitting with the ladies and we have death there, that's kind of like joking around with her, but she's like, Oh, I really want to eat the scone, but I can't. And he's like, eat the scone. And she's like, I can, I'm a lady. We do see her struggling with this throughout the novel, trying to figure out who she really is and trying to kind of uh, meld these two pieces of herself. So this piece of, 
I want to be a proper society lady and I am learning more about my abilities in terms of the spiritual world and things like that. Yeah, and I think for anybody who hasn't read this or isn't going to, she does have like three angles. So there's death that she's infatuated with and we mean that also like a love interest, you know, um, and he would be the supernatural road that she would choose. And then there's Everett. I think his name is Everett, right? Yeah. yeah. Everett. He's the high society road guy. So basically, if she chooses him, that would be the living the high society normal life, which I think would probably turn out to be boring for someone like Cigna. And then, you know, there's Silas, who was a stable boy, but we we learned that he is death, but she doesn't know that uh, until later. And, you know, so she he, he's a stable boy. He would be lower society. He would be frowned upon basically to fraternize with the help back then for a rich lady. So um, she has all these different um, avenues, uh, all these different love interests. And that just comes also back to um, her coming of age and, and trying to figure out her identity. So um, I just wanted to throw those names out there so you know in case we mention them. But okay, uh, which brings me to the next question. So throughout the novel, Cigna appears to explore multiple romantic avenues. Like I said, Death, Everett, Silas. So do you feel more invested in one love connection when you were reading than the other? And what are your thoughts on this love triangle uh, that emerged throughout the story? So yes, I did feel more (laughs) invested in one over the other. I preferred Death slash Silas. Um, I liked Silas a lot and I had already assumed that he was Death, but if he wasn't, I still liked him and was rooting for him as well. But Everett sounded boring. He seemed very nice, but yeah, he seemed boring. In terms of the love triangle, I'm not a big fan of love triangles. I just don't really enjoy reading them most of the time, but I thought this one was done okay. Um, I honestly never thought there was any point in the novel where I thought she would choose Everett. So in that sense, I don't know if I really felt like it was a significant love triangle. I never really thought that she was going to end up with anyone other than death. So I, I guess I was reading it in the sense of like, hey, this is another option, but it wasn't like a serious contender. There's somebody who is mentioned throughout the book and then we actually are introduced with at the end of the book who might cause a little bit of rift between her and death. We'll see. Uh, but as far as this goes, I, I agree with Alex. You know, Everett is, he's the amiable choice for the high society girl that chooses she wants to marry and live the normal, you know, what's expected woman's role of that era. But that's definitely not going to be what Cigna chooses, I think, because she's she's too complex of a person to just go along that road, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, so while I was reading it, yes, 100%. I was so into her and death. Alex even made a point to say to me that when she was reading it, she said uh, that she felt things <laughs> when she was having her um, her moments with death. And I agree with that. Um, every scene with her and death was riveting. And I was like, this is so interesting and different. And I really liked that. Um, so I think that that shows uh, exactly that that's probably the road that she's been meant for. It made sense while we were reading it. You know, we had a connection there um, as readers. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, the road that she's meant to go because it just made sense for her. Um, you know, she's immortal. Uh, he's immortal. <laughs> you know, we find out that she's a reaper um, that we'll talk about that a little bit later. As far as a love triangle goes, I really don't think Everett had a shot. I think he was just the contender because that's what's expected of her, but not really where her, where her heart was. Um, so I never really viewed him as the choice that she would make. And uh, yeah. All right. So Cigna confronts death for killing all those close to her thus making her appear cursed to others and to herself. He later discloses that he killed the individuals to protect her and Cigna is ultimately grateful for his intervention. What are your thoughts on Death's motivations and Cigna's reactions to this discovery? So I think it's interesting that Death is so complex. You know, you, you think about Death, if he was a character, you would think of him just as this heartless 
jerk who comes and just steals people's lives and doesn't care. But he really does have emotions. He really does care. And he very much cares for Cigna. He cares about her well-being and he definitely wants to protect her. He sees her in these hands of these people who only want to get their hands on her fortune that she's meant to inherit. They don't really care about her. He gets rid of them and then he sets her up with this family who actually do care and do give a shit about her. And she actually does belong there. They also have layers of issues too, being haunted by the ghost of the mother. They have these murders going on. So, you know, they're also um, encompassed by death. Uh, so she she definitely belongs there. So I think that his intervention there um, is a good one because he puts her on on the proper road um, where she was really someplace that she would, what she's always wanted was someplace where she belongs and he does help her and, and bring her there. Uh, as far as the, the reaction that she has to this discovery, I think he's motivated, uh, his, his intentions were good. Uh, I think that all along he's known that he's as infatuated with her as, as she is with him and he knows um, that something is you know going to go on there. I don't think he did it for his own gain, but I think he did everything for her. I don't know. That's me. As far as Cigna's reaction to it, I don't really remember what her reaction is. I don't think she really has a significant reaction. I think she was just kind of like, oh, okay. And Good. It. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I agree with you. I think that first of all, I'd already suspected this by the time we get to the Hawthorns. I was like, yeah, she's he's probably killing all these people because they were not good people. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and it, it made sense to me. So I wasn't really surprised by the revelation. I liked it. I liked his motivations. Um, you know, it's a little morally gray. Like, should we be killing people just because they, you know, aren't nice to the person we like? I don't know. But, this whole book is morally gray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, for the, the story and for this universe that we were in, it, it made sense. And I liked it. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I I, I liked it. I thought it was, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was cute. So I don't know what that says about me, but I, I did. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, in terms of Cigna's reaction, I kind of expected more of a reaction from her. Uh, I don't think we really got much of one, but I also liked that because it wasn't this like huge thing that was like, oh my God, I can't believe you were behind this the whole time. And then they don't talk for, you know, three chapters and then they fight. So it was nice to just see it be a little bit more of a mature reaction and saying like, okay, I understand why you did this and I, you know, I'm okay with it. And then just moving on with our day. So I, I liked that. Yeah. I mean, this is leading into too, how I was saying I really like these dark fantasies. This is definitely a dark fantasy. I mean, death is she's she's having sex with death. I'm just going to be real and lay that on the table. There. That's what's <laughs> happening here. You know what I mean? It's an unconventional love story. And uh, I was all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was here for it. Uh, so in addition to the reveal of who the true killer is, there are other several um, twists revealed throughout the novel. Uh, for example, like we said, Marjorie, the governess, was Percy's actual mother uh, biologically. Cigna is a reaper. She can actually sense and commune with death. That's why she, um, during that uh, intermission world, was able to touch her aunt and her aunt died. And then Silas is death, All right, which we kind of had an idea of, but it's confirmed. So uh, what are your thoughts on these twists and did any surprise you? Um, yeah, I was surprised by Marjorie being Percy's real mom. I did not see that coming. That was a huge twist for me in the novel. You know, once Signa was about to confront her and she saw her with the picture that like th like flew out the window or whatever, I was like, oh, there's something interesting going on with Marjorie, but it was literally revealed like that same page or something like that. So I um, this took me this took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting that. I did 
expect yeah. that Cigna, I mean, I didn't know what name it was for her, um, but I was like, she's obviously something because she can't freaking die, okay? Like, she's not a normal person. Obviously, she's connected to death in some way. Um, so I wasn't surprised that she was what they call a reaper. That made sense. I was like, well, obviously, she's something. So, <laughs> um, And the fact that she was able to kill her aunt and send her soul to the afterlife, uh, obviously, that makes sense for somebody that is going to be called a reaper. So yeah. all, all of that kind of fell into place. That made sense. And like I had already mentioned, I already suspected that Silas was death. So that didn't surprise me. Um, but I liked all these twists, whether they surprised me or not. I liked them. I think they made sense for the novel. I enjoyed reading them and I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, I did not see Marjorie as Percy's mom. I, I didn't see coming. That was definitely a shock. But I liked all these revelations. I loved the revelation that she's a reaper, Signa. How interesting is that? And I love the fact that she's an anti-hero. You usually get this like, you know, 1800s, I want to be a good girl. And, and she doesn't want to be a good girl. And I think that's refreshing. <laughs> But in, in a good in a good sense for the book, obviously not in real life. Uh, but, you know, like it just makes it for an interesting read and an interesting character. So I really liked that. Uh, it did surprise me for Percy only for the fact that I did sense it, but I didn't want it to be. I didn't want him to be hurting his sister. I didn't want him to have hurt his mom. And I, I, I guess I felt a little better knowing that he wasn't intending on killing his mother, but still with the intention of hurting somebody who was obviously caring for him. But, um, you know, it just bothered me so much that he would want to see his sister struggle and die. And I just think that's horrible. So, you know, all for business, really, like it just he's horrible. So it, it didn't it's not that it surprised me. It just it saddened me. Like, why, bro? What's your deal, bro? Leave Blythe alone, you know? <laughs> And we don't get a lot of Blythe in this because she was sick. But the moments that we do get of her, she just seems like a spunky sass. And I really like her. And I think that in the next book, we're going to get a lot more of her. And like I had mentioned to you, um, I think third book is entirely her, which is very interesting. So I think we're going to get more on her character build up in the next yeah. book. Yeah. I'm interested for that. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think is next for Cigna, Death, and the other characters in the novel? And are you interested in or planning to read the remaining books in the series? Yes, a thousand. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Uh, yes, I, I loved this book. You know, it gave me all the feels. It was very interesting. It was a good quick read. And I a good quick read, read in a sense of a fantasy, like just making me want to care about characters and find out what happens next. So I will 100% be reading the rest of the books in these series. I already bought Foxglove. It's gorgeous. I showed Alex. I have the hard copy for it. It's just stunning looking. Um, so I'm hoping that the, the story inside is great. I have a feeling that since she sees spirits, she's finally returning to Foxglove where her mom died, that maybe she'll see her mother. Since her mother might be tied to the house, I have that hope that maybe she'll communicate with her mom finally because that's what she desperately has needed all along. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, and yeah, what, what do I think's next? I think death is taking a step back because we are introduced now with fate as a character. And I think fate, it might be mentioned, might be his brother. I'm not really sure, but he's definitely an immortal, supernatural character also. So that might prove to be something different for Cigna. Now she's going to be faced with this guy who's obviously, you know, here to excuse the term, but fuck shit up. So we'll see. I'm very interested to see where that goes, what happens for Cigna and death in the next one. And I'm interested to see what happens with all the characters. Uh, I really do like everyone at Hawthorne House and I'm interested to see where they go from here. Yeah. I uh, I think we're going to get a lot more of Blythe in the second book. I think we're going to get less of death. Um, I think it's it's mentioned at the end of Belladonna that there is going to be another murder mystery. So we'll see. I assume I'm thinking that Cigna is going to be paired up with Fate in, in trying to uncover this specific murder mystery. I don't know if Fate is going to be 
coming in between Cigna and death, or if maybe he's going to be maybe with Blythe, Blythe. the love interest for yeah. her. Yeah, it is. It is mentioned um, that Blythe. It's not. It's implied that maybe she has some kind of supernatural characteristic. I'm not sure because she did sense her mom around also. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So I think that. We're going to be uncovering some mysteries at Foxglove. I think that we're going to see fate and what his powers are and what his situation is. We're going to learn more about him. And I just, in general, think we're going to see a little bit less of death. But I do think that death and Signa are going to be endgame together. But maybe fate is going to try to mess it up. We'll see. Hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to read the rest of the books. Um, I did not get them yet, but I, I most likely, well, I don't think Wisteria is out yet, but I did not get Foxglove yet. But I'll, I'll most likely read it maybe yeah. over our uh, our winter break. Yeah, I know. I have like 7,000 books for our winter break that I won't get to. <laughs> but if I can maybe pause time and borrow Andarna for a moment, that would be yeah. cool. <laughs> All right. So what did you think overall of Adeline Grace's uh, use of world building in this book? But the world building was okay. Um, there's not a ton of it because it wasn't like she was creating a new world. It was you know, modern, not modern, uh, it's our world, but just with some supernatural elements. This really seemed more like a supernatural book. I think you're the one who yeah. said this more supernatural yeah. than fantasy. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder if the rest of the series will get more fantasy or if it'll kind of remain this more supernatural. Uh, overall, I thought it was good. I do have some issues with her descriptions of death because he's described basically as just being shadows and yet he's straight up having sex with Cigna and it just, it, there wasn't enough explanation for me to understand how this worked. It didn't bother me a lot, but it bothered me because it just didn't make sense. And I feel like there wasn't enough explanation for how this would actually work if he's just shadows. It was it, it's something that I was questioning a lot, especially as it was happening. So well, we do know that he can go into a human form as he does with Silas. So yes. perhaps during those moments, he can morph of some sort or maybe she does say that that she just feels the shadows all over her. So maybe it's I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like it. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I, I get the the idea. Like Alex said that this is a spiritual, a supernatural book more than a fantasy book. It didn't feel like a fantasy book for me. Uh, and it rather, really bothered me that it was listed as a YA because I felt like it was less yeah. YA for me. It didn't give me that. And I feel like maybe the reasoning for not getting the, the answers that Alex is talking about as far as like, you know, the sex with death is because it's labeled as a YA and maybe they didn't want it hard to get into it. I really don't know. I feel like this was missing labeled just like I feel like one dark window is mislabeled. I don't think these should be YA. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I agree that this shouldn't be YA. I don't think that she didn't describe death because it was a YA. I don't need her describe. I don't really well, like yeah. super you know what I mean. sex scenes. I no, just that's wanted, not what I mean. Yeah. I mean, like maybe that's why we maybe that's why she held back writing because she knew it was supposed to be a YA. I'm not sure. What It's not just during the sex, though. It's like he's always shat. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I agree with you that it didn't feel YA. There was too much mm. sex in this for it to be yeah. a YA. <laughs> Honestly, there was. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't super spicy, but as far as a YA goes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't let my 13, 14 year olds read this. No. That's for sure. No. First of all, I wouldn't want them to have the idea of, hey, you can have sex with death either. Like, fuck that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's so weird that they're taking these dark fantasies. Now they're labeling them as dark fantasy, but they're also slapping the label of YA. One Dark yeah. Window and Two Twisted Crowns, uh, Belladonna. None of those, they give me dark fantasy vibes, yes, but none of them give me YA. I just, it doesn't, 
I feel like they're mislabeling this maybe to attract a younger crowd, which concerns me. <laughs> why? I um I think it's because YA for a while was really popular and selling a lot. So they put the YA label on things so to push them to sell. However, I feel like in the last few years, we've been moving away from that and people have been more geared to the adult fantasy and stuff. So I don't know why they're still doing this, but definitely back in like 2015, 2014, YA was like a big booming genre. So everybody was labeling their books YA regardless of whether they were or not. But this book came out 2022. So I don't understand why it's still being done in 2022 when YA is not selling as high as like all these people that were reading the YAs in 2014 are now much older and they're reading the adult stuff yeah so i don't know it's funny too because when we read one dark window i was like oh no i'm gonna have another book hangover and then i I read this book and it it was good because it was a perfect book to read after one dark window so if you haven't read this yet and you haven't read one dark window and you want to read you know them simultaneously if you're feeling that dark fantasy those vibes um it's definitely not ya please don't be turned off by that uh, but it's, it's, I definitely felt more, uh, adult to me, but like Alex said, I wouldn't let my kid or a 14 year old read this. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you're a little 13 year old comes up to you and says, mommy, I really want to read this, say, no, nope, sorry. It nope. would probably be fine for upper YA. So like 17 to 19, it would be fine. But anything younger than that, I just, I don't think so. Nah. Be like, here is Narnia enjoy uh also here is the last unicorn enjoy that okay and then that's it all right moving on <laughs> by the way the last unicorn is awesome don't hate on it all right okay. what are your overall thoughts of grace's writing overall did you um would you read more from her um i had some issues with the writing so i already mentioned i had the issues with the descriptions of death i think that that needed to be better explained i also have some issues with the idea of death kind of following this girl since she was two months old and like keeping an eye on her and falling in love with her and it just seems really creepy and like grooming behavior i just wish that that hadn't been a thing um so i do have some issues with that but other than that, I thought that the writing was fine. Um, I didn't I didn't have any issues with the writing outside of those two things. You know, I didn't even think of that until you just said that. And now that creeps me out. Right. It's creepy. Yeah. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like literally from the moment you read the prologue where she's two months old and he's standing over her and then he sees her again when she's 10 and then again when she's like 12 or something like that or 15. I was just like, this is creepy. Like, is this not creepy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely get creep elements throughout because it's death. (laughs) But I didn't even think of that until you just said that. And now that just kind of changes my perception a little bit. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Overall, though, I I did like the book. Uh, I would read more from her. I want to read her all all stars and teeth, all the stars and teeth duology. I heard that that's pretty good, too. I think that was her uh, debut. So I'm interested to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I definitely want to read the rest of this series. So, um, yeah. Yes, I will read more from her. <laughs> and I thought overall her her writing was was good. It was interesting and it was definitely different. I'd never read anything like this before. And I like things like this. I like the dark fantasy genre. What are your thoughts on the title, Belladonna? So my thoughts on Belladonna, the title makes a lot of sense. <laughs> when I first picked it up, I thought that was going to be her name. And I was like, oh, do I like this? And then when I found out that the reason was because it's actually a poisonous plant. So I was like, oh, cool. Okay. Uh, so no, I wouldn't have changed it. I like it. It's intriguing enough. 
Uh, and when you finally realize why, the whole book really does center around this poisonous plant. So, you know, it's a it revolves around growing up, taking this poisonous plant to communicate with death, the poisonous plant also having a relation to, to Blythe. I think that her and Blythe have some kind of supernatural connection of some sort that might be revealed in the next book. I'm interested to see if that's the case. Uh, so I wouldn't have changed it. I, I like it. Yeah, I like the title. Um, I don't have an issue with it. I agree with you. I I already knew that Belladonna was a poisonous berry from other books, but I still thought that was going to be her name. And so when it wasn't, I was once again surprised. <laughs> I think you were the one actually who told me you were like, that's not her name, by the way. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's OK. So I, I liked that it was called Belladonna and I liked the use of the Belladonna in the novel. I, I thought that this all made sense. I don't think I would have changed it. Yeah. So for the for the next question, I think we both are going to agree with this as well. Uh, did you like the cover art? <laughs> did you uh, think it fit with the content? Would you have changed anything? No, I wouldn't have changed anything. This cover art is gorgeous. One of the most beautiful covers for the books that we've read all year. Yes. Um, just stunning. The sequel also stunning. I know you sent me like a video of you uh, opening it and showing me all the hardcover and everything. Um, absolutely beautiful. I wouldn't have changed anything. Oh, I agree. This is what made me want to read the book. Yeah. When I had seen it, people were recommending it. And I seen it. I was like, that is gorgeous. That's gorgeous. And I wouldn't have changed it because it's literally her on the cover with the friggin' poisonous plant. What more do you need? The whole book is about her and the poisonous plant. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. The only thing that maybe <laughs> tops it is foxgloves. Foxglove, foxglove, whatever. The next book in the series is probably prettier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just excited to see where the third one goes. If it just keeps getting prettier and prettier cover art, I'm in. So yeah. <laughs> And me and Alex are suckers for pretty cover art because sometimes I've picked up a book that's like mediocre, but the cover art was so nice. And I was like, oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And they say <laughs> you're not supposed to judge a book by your by its cover, but I know sometimes you can't help it. <laughs> but damn it, the marketing is sometimes is so good. Yeah, right. <laughs> they know they know what we like. Uh, all right. So if this book could be summed up as what would it be? First thing that comes to your mind, a song. I'm going to say uh, the Led Zeppelin song, um, Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> okay. I don't know why, but that's the first <laughs> one that came to my head. Okay. I'm going to go with Sympathy for the Devil by Rolling nice. Stones. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I kept thinking of that song like while I was reading this the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, oh, for... uh, how about a nail color? A nail color? Black. Okay. I got to go black. I mean, it's it's shadows, death. You don't okay. get much darker than that. I was thinking like a dark royal purple. Oh, I love it. Like oh, really, that's because really of the cover. Purple. Yeah, probably. It has purple yeah, on it, right? This purple flowers. I think Belladonna is purple. Maybe. Yeah, the berries. It's like a dark purple. Yeah, That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. All right. How about a cocktail? Oh, God. It would have to be something that would kill me. So <laughs> I hate Jameson. Uh, okay. Somebody made me do shots of it a long time ago. I it did not have a good experience. Okay. <laughs> I don't like Jameson. So I'm going to say that because bleh. Okay. <laughs> uh, I love Jameson. Ugh, but yeah, no. I was thinking something like uh, bourbon or like a whiskey with um, like blackberries muddled in and maybe mm. like mixed with like black tea or something like Ooh, that. Yeah, that's very creative. I like that. I feel like that would be also, good. I would try that. Right. Doesn't it sound good? <laughs> it does. And I like whiskey. 
<laughs> All right. How about an item of clothing? A headband. I don't know why. A headband. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Headbands. I'm thinking like a really tight, like sparkly black gown that like Ooh. maybe flares a little bit at the bottom. Yeah, definitely something that she would definitely wear if she was going to marry death. Yeah. So it would obviously be instead of a white dress, black dress, just saying. Yeah. And it would be gorgeous. That sounds beautiful. The harbinger of death, like coming to meet death for their union or something. It 100% has a train. Yeah. A small yeah. train. Yeah. And sparkly as shit. Yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> also, I want it. I know. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. How about a meal? A scone and a coffee. Nice. <laughs> and it would have to be like an orange cranberry scone, something oh, yummy like that. Those are my favorite. I love orange cranberry. Are they scones. good? Yeah. All right. I don't know why, but I was thinking some blackberry pie, maybe some Belladonna berries mixed in. Who knows? Oh, if, shit. If you need them to be. All right, Arya Stark. <laughs> it's in here, my lord. All right. Um, here. It's here. They're here. They're here. Your sons are here. They're already here, my lord. Here, my lord. All right. How about an animal? You're dark sometimes, girl. You're dark. <laughs> Here's some be belladonna berries. Taste them, bitch. All right. Taste my pie. For an animal. If you need it. <laughs> uh... I don't know. I, I want to say Velociraptor. I know it's not an animal, though. I, I know mean, it's it not. Is. It is. But they're like cunning and like, you know, like, I don't know. They're tricky bitch. Like, you know, clever girl. I don't know. That's just what's coming to mind. So, okay. okay. Velociraptor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't see that coming. No. Who would? Um, it's not an animal. It's a dinosaur. I know. Well, I mean, I guess it's a kind of animal. It's just extinct. All right, I'm thinking like a really big, like all black wolf, but with two different colored eyes, like Cigna. Oh, I like one, that. One blue and one gold. I like, like that. Yeah. All right, practical magic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love practical magic. Me too. <laughs> so good. Uh, all right. And so we left the other uh, the other category open as like variable. We could change it. But I guess if we could cast somebody as either death or her Cigna, who would you imagine in the role? All right. For Cigna, I think it would be like Lily Collins. I can just picture her with that like really fair skin, the really dark brows. I don't know. Something about her just feels like she would be a good Cigna. I like that. I'm happy with that. Yeah. As far as death goes, it would have to be someone super hot. <laughs> don't say Henry Cavill because I know that we want to cast him in everything <laughs> you know that's what I was thinking it has to be him <laughs> but you know if like death is going to be someone who like seduces me guy's got to be smoking hot literally smoking hot yeah. Are you uh, trying to say that Henry Cavill is not? No, he is. But I'm saying how many movies are we going to cast him at this point? Every, every. He's movie. literally in every role. All right. He's still a Car Caraval over there um, doing all the damn things. And that's why we would go back. Anyway, so I don't know. I always want to, for some reason, I always want to say Theo James. I don't know why. I you want to cast stuck him on him everything. lately. I stuck know. on him lately. Uh, and I'm not going to say Chris Hemsworth because he's just too pretty for this role. It has to be someone very masculine but handsome okay that can wait. play death hold on so i see people i have to look it up i have to look him up to show you because i've never heard of him before but people keep trying they they put their um fan cast for this character from akatar and i feel like he would actually be a good death mm. i don't know matthew daddario he's cute yeah all right 
Maybe. I mean, I could see him as Silas. Okay. Uh, same same I thing. Could, <laughs> I could see him as Silas. You know who else is handsome? You know the guy that played uh, in the first season of Bridgerton, the, the Duke? Did mm. I cast him already in roles? I, I don't like think him. so. I don't think you did. <laughs> He's pretty young. But I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see him maybe in the role. Hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. <laughs> that was fun right there. All right. So overall, we're going to be painting our nails. We're going to be drinking some cocktails that kick our ass and hanging yeah. out with some hot death. <laughs> You're invited to the party if you'd like to join. <laughs> All right. But just don't eat Alex's poisonous uh, Belladonna pie. Hey, Avoid that shit. It won't. It won't have Belladonna unless you deserve the Belladonna. I don't know. Well, either that or she's going to put ghost peppers in it and kill you anyway. So just don't <laughs> eat her pie. End of story. <laughs> All right. So overall scoop or skip, how many golden scoops are you giving it, Alex? All right. So I think this is a scoop for me. I gave it four golden scoops. I overall really enjoyed it. I did like death and the scenes that he was in. I found him funny, like you had said earlier. I really liked Cigna for the most part. I did have some issues with uh, just the story at times. There was a lot with Cigna being like, oh, I can't eat the scone and oh, I need to be a proper lady. And it was just a little too much for me. Because and of the times. I get that it was the times, but it's not for me. I didn't enjoy reading it. I found it extremely frustrating and annoying. So I, I just wasn't for me. I. I just didn't like it. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, I had some issues with the portrayal of death, as well as the him like following this girl since she was two months old until she was like 19. And then he finally is like, hey, I killed all these people for you. Let's make love. Yeah. It's just weird, you know? So uh, for that reason, I can't give it any higher. It's a four for me, but it was fun. I would read more and I did enjoy it. Yeah, this is a scoop for me. I recommend it. I think it was really good. It's a fun read. Uh, if you like dark fantasy genre, then this is for you. Uh, I was going to give it a five. I really loved it, to be honest with you. But after Alex told me about this grooming aspect, now I can't get that out of my head. So I'm going to have to bump it to a 4.5 just because of that. Other than that, it gave me all the feels. I really did love it. I am looking forward to the second one. And I thought that it was a great follow up to One Dark Window because it had the same type of vibes, but totally different. And what's interesting is that they were both written like a month within each other, but they were both released. Uh, so I thought that that was really interesting. So. If you do like that genre, if you enjoyed One Dark Window, I think you'll like this one. Uh, and yeah, I definitely recommend it. Love a good anti-hero. Must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. We had a good conversation. <laughs> Just a reminder to stay after the episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Join us again this Thursday, November 16th, for another party episode. And then get ready, everyone, because next Tuesday, November 21st, and for the remainder of the month, We'll be reading and reviewing the highly anticipated sequel to Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Iron Flame! Join us then as we begin our discussion on the newly released fantasy novel. We're so excited about that. Yeah. And don't forget to mark your calendars for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air on Wednesday, November 29th. We'll be reading and discussing There There by Tommy Orange, a Pulitzer Prize winner. As I just learned. Yes. And be on the lookout for our next bonus ode. On November 20th, we'll be reviewing Britney Spears' newly released memoir, The Woman in Me. If you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in future discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission. So thank you so much for supporting us. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whichever streaming service you use. We would really appreciate it also if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about our podcast. And of course, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate each and every one of you. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we'll be doing some live events soon and we will post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. We are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... juggles in her face when she's having sex with death jesus christ we gotta start over yeah i couldn't even hear you say berries <laughs> as you know we are all about booking and cooking so let's get into our ingredient of the week this week's ingredient is berries which alex is so excited about inspired the poisonous berries that signa eats to communicate with death We'll make something using that ingredient to discuss in our party episode, which will air on Thursday. We have to do this over. Okay. (laughs) Before we dive into our discussion, here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this sequel is about. Mm, No, it's not a sequel. All right. (laughs) Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. (laughs) (laughs) It stands you. (laughs) All right. Listen up, fuckholes. No. <laughs> this I'm, is stopping, I'm stopping it. Before we get started, we want to we want to include some trigger warnings. Like, you this know, book and the following discussion will include topics of death, sexual violence, violence, murder, and abuse. So you know, please be aware before you proceed. There's something wrong with you. Also, you sound like the mouse from Zootopia. <laughs> Okay, so first, let's tell you why we chose this book. TikTok was raving about this book. So I started reading it to see if the hype was real. And since I've been feeling dark fantasy, God, wait, (laughs) 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 starting over. Okay. 
<clears throat> okay, so first, let's tell you why we chose this book. TikTok was raving about this book, so I started reading it to see if the hype was real. And since I've been feeling dark fantasy a lot lately, mixed with the blah, blah, what the hell is my deal? <laughs> All right, hold on, I'm stopping it. <laughs> okay, so first, let's tell you why we chose this book. TikTok, as always, was raving about this book, and so I started reading it to see if the hype was real. And since I've been feeling dark fantasy, fuck, I fucked up again. Did it again. Jess spoke so highly of it. <laughs> hey, guys. So it's Jess. I didn't discover this until after we recorded, but apparently there's a song called Belladonna by Ava Max. So I'm going to play a clip of it here for you. And had I known, this would have been the song I thought of to describe the book. So here you go.